You're listening to Making Medicine, stories from the early stage life sciences ecosystem, a podcast that explores the people and deals that have led to the medicines, devices, and technologies that keep us healthy. Let's get into the show. Hello, this is Ashlyn, today's host of the Making Medicine podcast. We are thrilled to have Christine Brendan, Managing Director of Vertex Ventures, HC, with us today to talk about her journey in the industry, her perspectives on future investment trends, and experience leading one of the few female-led investment funds in the healthcare industry. With over 15 years of life science industry experience, Christine was an obvious choice to lead the fund and a fit for our investor-focused podcast. To start off, uh, like many VCs, you have a unique transition into the industry. Would you uh, mind kind of starting off on sharing your journey into venture capital? Absolutely, happy to. Uh, so originally, um, I thought I was going to have uh, my own lab and be a full-time scientist. Uh, I got a PhD in neuroscience. I then did a postdoctoral fellowship also in neuroscience. And it was at that point that I realized I probably didn't want to have my own lab and, and focus solely on the research and uh, went into initially consulting uh, in a small boutique healthcare consulting firm. Uh, that was sort of my pseudo MBA, if you will. That was my immersion into the business side uh, of uh, research and science and biotech and pharma. Um, and from there, um, I went into business development. Uh, I was at a couple of different bio, small biotech companies in business development, uh, really looking to partner with big pharma companies um, to either do research partnerships or license particular programs that the companies had. Um, I spent, bizarrely, two years in marketing and um, on the commercial side. Uh, I was in North uh, Carolina. I had um, a company that just closed and didn't get its Series C financing, which was a learning experience in itself. Um, and I didn't want to move. And so I found this great group. Um, it's now, the company is now called Valiant. Uh, and I spent two years there um, in marketing, uh, initially at strategic planning and then as a product manager. Uh, so it was really nice to be able to kind of see that side of the world too, the commercial side. Um, after a couple of years, uh, I wanted to get back closer to the research again, went uh, into another um, biotech company um, spent about three years there, then went to Big Pharma in business development, uh, spent five years uh, in Big Pharma in business development, um, and then decided I want to go back to biotech, became a chief business officer at a biotech company and was there for about three and a half years. Uh, and then amazingly had the opportunity to go into venture capital. Um, one of my former bosses was a, a managing director at Novartis Venture Fund and called me up one day and said that they had a role there and would I be interested in applying? And thankfully I did get the role. Uh, so I spent about three and a half years at Novartis Venture Fund um, and then uh, had the opportunity to go to U.S. Merck's uh, Venture Fund, MRL Ventures Fund. I was there for four years before joining Vertex Ventures HC, which I will now call VVHC because it's too much of a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I love, love VVHC. Um, thank you for, for sharing your, your breadth of knowledge. And I really think it, um, is, it truly exemplifies that not one 
there's many entry points into the industry, but also kind of as an investor, you're able to pull from a lot of different experiences when um, in order to inform your your investment decisions. Um, and so, so thank you for sharing that. I know that now you, as I mentioned, you're leading one of the the few female-led investment funds uh, in the healthcare industry, alongside um, Lori, who as well. Uh, would you mind telling us a little bit more about Vertex Ventures, VVHC, as you <laughs> refer to it, and, and your portfolio? Absolutely. So one of the first clarifying things that I will say is we aren't associated with the pharmaceutical company, Vertex Pharmaceuticals. This is um, actually uh, a group that's funded right now by a single limited partner or LP called Tomasic. And about, um, well, I guess a couple decades ago now, uh, Tomasic put money into what's, what they uh, named Vertex Holdings. And then under Vertex Holdings is a whole family of Vertex Ventures companies, um, all investing in various different things, either geographically, there's like a Vertex Ventures Southeast Asia, Vertex Ventures China, Israel. Um, and then in 2014, they created the healthcare group, which is Vertex Ventures HC. Um, so the name is sort of historical, and it's not until we've gotten into the healthcare side of things where confusion arose. <laughs> um, so we uh, were originally established in San Francisco, and that's where, as you, as you mentioned, my partner, Lori Hu, is located. Um, I joined five months ago, partly because they, they really wanted to build a Boston office. I'm located in Boston, Mass., so that was exciting for me. Um, the other part that really attracted me to uh, the company was the fact that there are diverse uh, investors. Um, so they, we, we put uh, about two thirds of investing into um, biotech uh, therapeutic companies, and about a third of our investing goes into med tech. Um, mostly for us, that has been med device, medical devices uh, companies, but we're um, looking at some digital health companies now um, and other things in, in that bucket. So. We're, it's nice that we're diversified. We get to look at a lot of different things within healthcare. Uh, and we have freedom and flexibility to do that. Lori and I both basically set the strategy of, of what we're going to be looking at and where we um, want to focus our, our, uh, our time and energy. Um, for biotech investing, we invest early. So usually preclinical to early clinical companies, which is series A's, series B's. Uh, MedTech, we do the opposite. We invest later. So we invest in those companies that are in their pivotal FDA clinical trial or even uh, commercial and, and generating revenue. Thank you for sharing that. I think that really um, gives the audience a good perspective on, on kind of the diverse breadth that you guys are able to invest in. Um, and I think that you guys are doing incredible work, especially um, as it is related to the you know, cell therapy, um, targeted oncology, platform technologies, um, and as well as um, the devices and, and digital health, as you mentioned. Um, and so I know that you had just mentioned that it's, with biotech, you guys invest in earlier stage with medtech, it's a little bit later on. What's your typical approach to investing um, and what are some things that you look for when uh, you're working with some startups? Yeah. Um, so sort of my philosophy, and it's not particularly insightful or brilliant or anything, but my philosophy has um, been to look at this investing as kind of um, when I look at any company, there's, there's three pillars that I need to examine and that I hope are part of supporting that company. Uh, first is the science, of course. We generally look at innovative new science, new platforms, new targets, 
Um, and the science is, of course, necessary, but isn't sufficient to make a good investment. There's really two other key pillars. Um, one is the management team, which is really at least as important, if not sometimes more important than the science. Um, really having those, those people who understand drug development, understand uh, culture, how to build a team, um, and how to pivot, because science is science. We, we start out with hypotheses, we test those hypotheses, and sometimes they're not correct, and we have to change what we're going to be doing um, and how we do things uh, as the company goes forward. Um, so management, critical. And then the third pillar is uh, finance, and that's really how much money is the company raising um, for this financing how many milestones um, do they get to? How much validation of the science do they get to during that financing? Um, and then who are the other groups that are a part of that financing wanting to understand kind of what kind of syndicate do you have? Do you have institutional investors like Vertex Ventures HC? Um, do you have corporate investors um, like my prior funds, MRLV and, and uh, Novartis Venture Fund? So what's the group around the table? What is that board going to look like? So that's kind of how, how I, I take a look at these investments is through those three pillars. And you can't check every box. We certainly invest, for example, in first-time CEOs. Um, but generally speaking, those CEOs have come from the industry. They have been CFOs or CSOs or CBOs before. So they understand you know, the industry, they understand board dynamics, they've probably hired people before, things like that. Um, the other things that we look for is really just for us and for our portfolio, we want to continue to make sure that we're diversified. Um, so we have a lot of uh, oncology investments right now, and as you, as you noted, and some cell therapy investments. Um, so we're putting a little bit more energy in looking at things in the neuroscience space or in gene editing um, or inflammation, uh, just to really um, make sure that we're uh, investing in more than just one therapeutic area. Thank you for that. And I, I think that is really um, kind of important to underscore um, one to three pillars, I think is that one very, very uh, well to, to kind of help us as, uh, you know, myself as, as a non-scientist, but also our, our audience to be able to kind of understand how you guys are able to build out your portfolios, um, but especially when trying to keep that diverse portfolio and really the, um, the usefulness um, in, in that as well. Um, and I know that that's something that we at Incubate really try to convey to Washington the importance of a diverse portfolio for investors um, just because, um, you, as to your point, you don't know what that, that uh, novel science will, will turn into a discovery. Sometimes the science doesn't work out and being able to have the, those diverse investments really enable you guys to have some, um, uh, really finance a lot of some novel, uh, novel inventions. Um, but to, to that end, um, I would love to uh, kind of pivot to to some trends that you're seeing in the industry. Um, in, it, I know we're halfway through 2022 and um, are also at, in the middle of, you know, there's some inflationary um, aspects to, to consider. Um, so I'd love to just turn it over to you for some trends that you're seeing, um, if, how in, inflation is affecting your eyes' investments, um, and uh, yeah, leave it at that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, you know, inflation affects 
everything. Um, but uh, really what we have seen uh, was a, in 2020 and 2021, kind of an insane uh, amount of investment um, in the industry and really dramatic numbers of companies that went public um, with an initial public offering and now are on the public markets, uh, including a lot of those companies that were still in the preclinical stage, still hadn't yet started to test their drugs in people, um, which is a very um, early and risky part of the development of any drug. So, you know, I think what we're seeing right now is um, a reset, really, of the markets. Uh, and that reset, um, I don't even know what it is exactly today, but, you know, banting about, people have been banting about kind of the markets are 60% down, 70% down, as you look at the biotech indices, um, which is pretty amazingly significant. <laughs> Uh, so there are a lot of uh, institutional investors who have both public and private portfolios. So that definitely has a knock-on effect when part of your portfolio is struggling and not at, at the returns that you want them to be. That makes you a lot more cautious around where you're going to be putting your cash on the private sector. So we are sort of seeing that knock-on effect. Um, 2020 and 2021, we saw a lot of groups that were not traditionally investing in private biotech come in to private biotech and come in early. Um, we saw, you know, public investors who invest in public biotech only all of a sudden started coming into private biotech. We saw generalist investors uh, who didn't really invest in biotech before come in to investing in biotech and early series A's, series B's, again, in this preclinical time frame. So, you know, I think what we're seeing now is, is a little bit more of that reset back to what it was like in 2016, 2017, uh, where we had a healthy investment in, in biotech, um, but we were more reasonable about the amounts of money that we were putting in at any one time uh, and more reasonable about the valuations of those companies as we put the money in. Um, and then that helps uh, those companies grow a little bit more um, you know, grow kind of walk before you run growth instead of here's a hundred million dollars, hire 50, 50 people, um, do seven projects at once. And, and we didn't, didn't know whether or not those platforms were actually working. So I think it's, uh, we're getting back to a little bit of, of normal. Hopefully this is where we reside and that it doesn't continue um, to impact dramatically. Uh, but if you look at historical other downturns that happen in the biotech area, this is what we generally have seen. Um, we see kind of the IPO window kind of shut, uh, especially to preclinical companies. And that window can stay closed, you know, two to sometimes three or four years. So we hope it's on the two year side of things. I think a good company with great science in with some clinical data will, will be able to go public. Um, I just think it's those early companies that, that are, are having, um, uh, having to rethink how are they going to fund their company to the right moment to be able to get the right data to be able to access the public markets if that's what they want to do. Um, with the IPO market being um, closed now, uh, we're also going to start to see, I think, it's been happening a little bit, but not quite, quite as much as I'd hoped already, but we're going to see pharma companies doing a lot more acquisitions. 
Um, they have a lot of cash on their balance sheets, especially those groups that have money coming from uh, various COVID uh, therapeutics that were developed. Um, so I think that we'll start to see them uh, acquiring more companies. You know, if you look at any pharmaceutical company, 50% of their current products on the market came from biotech, came from the outside, not were, were not necessarily generated in-house. So there's always a need for good science, great products that can be acquired by pharmaceutical companies. Um, but they're, they're not going to acquire a company for crazy valuation unless they have to. <laughs> so with the, bio, with the public markets closing, um, valuations are starting to come down. Uh, and I think we're going to start to see a lot more of pharma um, being patient and, and waiting for the right company at the right valuation uh, and then doing many more uh, acquisitions to, to continue to, to uh, feed their pipeline. So, you know, I, I think, I hope that this, um, this knock-on effect from inflation and from, you know, other things have um, sort of hit the bottom at this point and that we're going to start to see kind of maybe maintaining that and then hopefully in a couple of years see, see the um, uh, rise again of, of being able to go public. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for that. I think that that was, that was really helpful in um, kind of framing it as a reset. Um, of course, um, having having the boom of the past few years is is, is definitely, um, we're seeing that kind of slow as well, but um, we're also seeing an uptick in, right, a lot more checks and balances um, kind of on the investor side. Um, but then also, I loved, I loved your point on um, there, there are might be a lot more acquisitions and for some entrepreneurs that that it would is a really productive goal that that they're um, after and so it kind of speaks to a lot of our um we we oftentimes refer to the early stage ecosystem as a as a relay race and so uh being able to hand off the baton and 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 uh for folks that are, are getting acquired um it, that is still a, a very beneficial aspect for entrepreneurs as well um, so thank you for that. Um, I, I um, want to stick on the trends if, if that is all right. And I know that we had the pleasure of connecting at the um, LSX World Conference uh, last month. It was, it was great to see you um, in person. Hopefully things will continue in person. Um, but uh, we did see a theme of increasing investment in femtech um, throughout the, the conference and also increasing diversity within the investor space, but also within the industry as a whole. Um, so um, I first and foremost, um, as, as a young woman myself um, in, within the industry, it's great to see the pivot towards um, prioritization in the space. But I'd love to ask you about your personal experience um, in your 15 years um, as a, both a woman in the space and an, an investor, how the industry has changed and where you think we can yeah, go from here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's a very, um, it's a focus for me. It's a passion for me. Uh, it's been kind of amazing to see see change happen, um, but I, I we're we're definitely not there yet. Uh, I still am, generally speaking, the only woman on on a board. Um, there might be one other woman. Um, I have a great board though; that's all women, which is fabulous. But that's the only one I've had in the <laughs> in the eight years of doing venture capital. Um, so I think we are seeing movement. Uh, I think we are seeing more women come into the industry and more women getting um, into 
uh, more senior roles, um, including partners, uh, including general partners. Um, we have a long way to go, not just on gender diversity, but on diversity. And in, in, I think it's, um, we, we pay a lot of lip service to this, the industry as a whole, um, venture capitalists as a whole. Uh, I think it's, you know, people, I think most people understand that being diversified is better. There's lots of data to suggest that's true. Um, you know, if you have different points of view, if you have different life experience, you will come to uh, better decisions, uh, which generally, and the output means your company is doing better. There's no easy fix to this, you know, there's no one button we can press. And so I think people get um, sort of deer in the headlights a little bit, you know, they kind of feel there's nothing I can really do. So I'm just going to continue to do what I do today. Uh, so I think we really need to a talk about it more and b um, really think about what are what are the things that we can put into place that can help us be better uh, at diversity, um, equity, and inclusion. So it's it's called DE and I for a reason. It's not just about hiring diverse people, but then not paying them the same, not promoting them the same, not giving them the same mentorship. Um, or not having them feel included in the company, you're just going to have turnover, right? You're going to bring those people in and you've been able to check some box, but you can't keep them because you're, you're not actually looking at the whole uh, gamut, right? You know, you have to be able to bring them in. You have to make them um, have an environment that's inclusive and you have to be treating everybody equitably. Um, so I think that every house <laughs> has a lot to do. Uh, to really look at themselves and see how they can be um, supporting diversity, equity, and inclusion in its entirety. I think there are small things that people don't even think about that if we could start talking about it would be impactful. One example, um, if you look at job descriptions and how job descriptions are written, if you have a job description that says required these 10 things, we require you have those 10 things. And then, you know, here's these five things we hope you have. If you look at who applies to that, it's generally not women. Women look at that and say, I only have nine. I don't have 10, I can't apply, they want 10. Men, not to point a finger, but generally white men look at that and say, I have one of those, so I'm gonna apply, <laughs> right? And, and, you know, that's, you know, a validated, scientifically validated uh, um, something that happens, right? You know, this is data that people have, uh, the sociology as, uh, sociologists especially have looked at and have determined that, you know, these are kind of the way that our culture is. This is how we respond to those kinds of things. So just look at your job description and say, what are the three things that I really hope, that I really want this person to have? to be able to come in at this level. And then here are the other things that, yeah, it'd be great if you had them. And you'd be amazed at how many more diverse candidates apply to those um, jobs. I, a lot of the pushback that I hear is, um, well, we put that job description out and we just didn't get any good women applicants or diverse applicants. And you know, so that's the first question I always ask is, well, how, how is your job description written? And the second is, well, did you go did you use your network to find that person? 
Because if you're fishing in the white woman pond, the white man pond, you're going to find white men in the white man pond. You're going to find white women in the white women pond, right? You have to start fishing in other ponds if you're going to be able to find diverse candidates. So there are, there are sort of, I think, things that we need to bring to people's attention that I don't think they realize they're doing, this sort of unconscious bias, um, but are very actionable, right? Just write the job description differently. You'll be amazed. Go to a recruiter who's uh, have diverse people recruiting and are recruiting from diverse places. Um, so I think there are little things that people can do, and and I think those little things will have a, a big enough impact that they'll start to see the reward of doing that. That they they then can't say, well, I just I don't get those applications. Um, so how can I hire a woman? They don't apply. Uh, I want the best person for this job. I shouldn't discriminate against anybody. And I agree with that. But if you're only picking, you know, you're only have 99% of your applications coming from that one population, then you're not doing it right. <laughs> so um, I think we need to be better about talking about these things and, and talking about what are the, even the small things people can start to do to be able to have much more uh, diversity. Um, you know, venture capital is definitely, um, looking more at itself. Part of that is limited partners are starting to require that venture capital uh, have diverse management, diverse partners, um, but also investing in, in diverse uh, management teams. And so the pressure is on, uh, which I think will help a lot. So we, we can, you know, whoever controls the money has a, has a bit of a lever so those limited partners who are going to be putting money into your fund are saying you, you as a fund have to be more diverse and you have to start investing in more diversity, which I think is a great trend. And then those venture capital companies, because they have that now as a mandate, can also go to their portfolio companies and say, you know, DE&I has to be a goal uh, for, your, um, for your company and demand that as part of the goals and, and how they get evaluated at the end of the year. So. I, I think through those methodologies, we're getting better, um, but I, I still think it's something that we ha have to do a lot more work on. I really like how you laid that out, um, especially with, you know, landscape as an industry. So seeing hopefully some long-term change with, you know, the LPs requiring diverse management, kind of diverse investment partners, um, but then also more of the tangible aspect as well, the fact that, for job descriptions, um, you know, who are you recruiting from geographically um, on top of, you know, gender, um, uh, racial, uh, geographic diversity is all incredibly important just to bring different perspectives, um, which can better inform your investment and have a, have a uh, less of a group think at a company. So I think, I think all of those um, points were, were really sounding, especially the, the, the business case too. And I know that and just in an, for an investor's perspective, being able to have more diverse experiences can help inform with what will be more helpful within the R&D and, and investing. So I appreciate um, kind of all, all lenses that you that you responded to that in. And I think that there, um, in my perspective, at least there's still a long way to go as well. Um, and I'm, I'm glad to see some strides, but definitely um, kind of the overarching theme, I think, needs to be intentionality, um, whether or not it's, you know, in the short term or long term of, of, of kind of having that um, our own responsibility um, for each person, organizations, but then also as an industry as well. 
Um, and so, so thank you for it, for, uh, answering that and really kind of spearheading a lot of this work. I know that, um, it's, it's, I think this is all super fascinating and, and couldn't, couldn't agree more with everything that was just said. Um, and today, um, even with the female led venture capital funds, I think they make just un, make up just under 10% of all VC firms. Um, and so that kind of underscores the importance as well for, for women in the industry. Um, and so I wanted to dig in, um, lastly, uh, on, on kind of your, your efforts and your commitment to um, giving back and mentoring within the industry. Would you mind telling us a little bit more about um, your work mentoring the next generation um, of women VCs and in the industry and, and why this is important? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it kind of follows on with the, the, the last topic about women in venture as well. And, and I realized one of the things that I didn't actually uh, talk about, but we could talk about now because I think it fits in well too, is um, investing in, in women's health, right? We don't see a lot of women's health companies, uh, biotech companies. You know, as you were mentioning, I think there is more going on these days in femtech than there has been in the past. Uh, but it certainly is an area that um, we, we need to to understand why isn't why aren't there more innovative companies in this space? Why aren't we talking about more of the diseases? beyond breast cancer and ovarian cancer, uh, the diseases that, that affect women, right? Endometriosis, polycystic ovarian syndrome. There's significant uh, patients out there that we're not really focused on. And I think we need to um, really start to understand what is blocking? What's, what, what are the, the, the things that are really um, difficult uh, for getting, is it is a lack of innovation? I, don't, I doubt it, right? <laughs> so what is it about uh, if there's innovation, why aren't we forming more companies there? Um, why aren't we putting more investment there? Uh, and part of that um, too is, um, you know, needing, needing more women leaders. And mentorship is, I think, a significant um, part of what we need to do to help continue to bring diversity into this industry. And, you know, my, some of the things that I, I have done in the past or I'm doing now are um, working with groups that, uh, like Venture Forward has uh, a um, VC university. And in that VC university, they bring sort of younger, uh, first, sometimes even first time uh, folks in that are thinking about coming into venture capital. Uh, and this is generally speaking women. Um, and we can, men you know, we can sign up as mentors and then you get randomly assigned to somebody uh, to be their mentor for a period of time to really kind of walk them through what, what, is, what is my job? How did I get here? Uh, what are paths that they could potentially um, get here on? And, um, you know, answer their questions and be supportive of them. Um, and part of mentoring is not teaching. It's not, I'm not, a, I'm not, here to lecture or to teach. This is um, to impart the knowledge that I've gained over these years so that somebody doesn't have to reinvent that wheel. But also I learn from everybody that I talk to. They have different varied backgrounds and they can help me as I think about um, doing my job, you know, just life, right? It's, it's an amazing opportunity to get to meet a lot of different folks. Um, and it's really important I think that um, you mentor not just through 
um, external ways like like venture forward. There, there was a, a, a thing that happened in Boston last year, maybe the year before, called We Rise Together. Um, there, there's a couple of other, you know, Harvard has, uh, the Harvard Graduate School has uh, reaches out every so often for mentors. Um, there are a lot of different programs. Um, being in Massachusetts, we have MassBio and they have a, 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 an initiative that I think is in its third or maybe fourth year now called Mass Next Gen, in which they um, provide um, grants and then mentorship to women CEO run biotech companies or tech companies, you know, med tech or biotech companies. And I've been part of that for a number of years. And, and really, you know, the money is nice, but it's not gigantic amounts of money. It's more the mentorship. Um, and all of those things are important. And I love doing all of those things. But we also have to really be thinking about what are we doing internally? What, how are we mentoring the next generation internally? We all have, in, in venture capital funds, we all have junior folks, associates, senior associates, principals, vice presidents. What are we doing to help them beyond sort of showing them the ropes of how to get the job done? Um, how are we helping them uh, grow within the community? And this is a community that's really based on your network. The way that you generally speaking find new companies to invest in is through your network. You're talking to somebody at a board dinner and they mention, oh, my portfolio is raising. Oh, okay, great. I'd love to see it. You know, or you know that portfolio company, you're interested in that space, you know that board member, you call them up and say, hey, you know, I'd like to hear about this company. Are they raising soon? So really, this is a very, it's a small community and it's a, and it's a community that really um, works together to, to exchange good information about various different opportunities that are out there. So how are you helping your junior folks get that network? Are you putting them on boards um, as observers? Are you giving them opportunities to speak? You know, we get asked to be on a lot of panels, right? So, you know, you, you should be thinking about when they're ready to get onto a panel, then give it to them, right? You know, you have that opportunity. You get a lot of these requests and you can't do them all. Uh, so allow, you know, your junior folks to also um, have that opportunity to get up there and sit on a panel and be at LSX and on a panel and, you know, do those kinds of things. Um, so I think it's important that we think about mentoring, not just um, joining different groups to be able to provide that mentorship externally, but what are we doing internally to mentor and are we doing enough? Um, and all of that is around uh, people that are either in the industry now or um, graduate students or postdocs that are coming into the industry. So, you know, pretty senior adults that we're mentoring. I think also importantly, if we want to really get more diversity into this industry, we have to think about going earlier, right? You have to think about high school, middle school, grade school, right? How do we um, bring the excitement of finding that piece of data out. Um, you know, that was one of the things that I loved about being a postdoc and, and a graduate student was I would do an experiment and I would see the data and I would sort of in the back of my head be like, I'm the only person who knows this piece of information right now. <laughs> and that there's something very cool about that. Um, how do you bring that passion and that excitement around what does it mean to um, go into 
the health sciences, what does it mean uh, for these other roles that they may not hear about? You know, that we hear about doctors and nurses, especially lately with a pandemic. Um, but what does it mean to be a research scientist? What does it mean to be a biology teacher? What does it, you know, why are why is that exciting? Uh, and so I think we need to think about, and I've, I've used we a lot, but I, I, I do think as an industry, we have to start figuring out how, how are we going to um, bring this information. And there are some uh, mechanisms that are already in place that, that are helpful. Um, my sister happens to be a high school biology teacher, so I ask her a lot of uh, what do I do, how do I do this, you know, what are the avenues by which um, she utilizes in her, you know, day-to-day. Um, so, you know, I, I think we have to come together a little bit. Um, a lot of the venture capital groups just got together by themselves um, to start thinking about uh, diversity in general and um, mentoring and, you know, how do we bring uh, people in? There's, it's a, um, a group that was just a self-starter. And so, you know, I think those... Um, those things you can, you know, if you can start those small, small fires, sometimes they can uh, actually burn pretty brightly um, over time. I, I just feel uh, a responsibility to be as active as I can in this space to do mentorship, to um, think about diversity, to think about how to bring excitement uh, and and attention to the space so that people can understand what what it is that we really do. Um, and so, you know, as you can tell, I'm a little bit passionate about this area, and I think I probably rambled a little bit in there. So I'm happy to take any clarifying questions from, from my ramble. Yes, no, I... I- I absolutely loved it. And it shows it, it one just shows your, your passion um, one for kind of giving back within the industry, the mentorship, but then also um, you're totally right. The uh, kind of going earlier um, K-12 uh, really gaining that interest and attraction to um, this community everyone within the in, uh, interconnected community, it seems like common sense, but folks that, aren't aware of it and don't have the same access to it, definitely getting in front of them and, and figuring out how to, um, I love what you said, the um, kind of having that little tidbit of information that nobody else in the world knows, like knowledge is power and being able to um, kind of incorporate that into, into the youth, I think, I think would be, will definitely be a helpful, a helpful next step. Um, and then also um, another t- an, a point of yours, um, just the, the kind of interconnectedness of the um, VC, but also just early stage community. That's that's something that that I've seen over the past uh, four years in just working with with the, um, just a lot of VCs across the network. And I think that having that mentorship is is really critical for for a lot of these folks that are that are coming into it because um, you guys are all really working together to. Um, Kind of whether or not you're going to investments together, or um, uh, maybe a, a, a certain a certain company isn't a fit for you guys, and and you pass it along. So just really being able to kind of um, lift lift up young folks as well, give them opportunities, give them speaking opportunities, exposure opportunities, um, sitting on boards, everything that you've raised. Um, so I just thank you for for outlining a lot of it because I think that that is 
it's critical for especially um, really esteemed folks as, as yourself, really kind of understanding and 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 spearheading the initiative to to help not only the next generation but then also increasing um, uh, diversity within the industry as well. Um, so it's people like you. There's a long way to go, but but, but we're we're thrilled about 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 getting there. So um, I just wanted to, to thank you, um, Dr. Brennan, and the entire team at Vertex Ventures, uh, just for all the great work that you guys do and for joining me today and thanks to our audience for listening and sharing feedback. More from Incubate um, at www.incubatecoalition.org. I'm sure there's so much more for us to talk about. So I know that we'd love to have Chris, uh, Christine, we'd love to have you back. And uh, a special thanks to Olivia Lucani and John Stanford in making today's podcast. Keep innovating everybody. You've been listening to Making Medicine. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to leave a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. 